you have your Bibles with you tonight, would you open them please to the very fourth Gospel, the Gospel of John. And tonight we're continuing in our sermon series that's entitled Hope for the Hurting. Hope for the Hurting. They say that you can live weeks without food, days without water, Minutes without oxygen, but you can't live one second without hope. When people lose hope, they lose their will to live. And they will end their life. And as our world is coming to a climatic ending, that's what we see all around us. Hopeless people. No desire to live who are taking their life intentionally or unintentionally by the way they live. Tonight, I want to give you hope in life's adversities. Hope in life's adversities. You say, Pastor, I don't have any adversities. You will. That's not my opinion. That's the Word of God. John 16, verse 33, the words of the Son of the living God, as He spoke to those of His day, as He speaks to us tonight. These things have I spoken unto you, that in Me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Look at that. In the world you shall have tribulation. Not you might have, not you could have, you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer in that tribulation, for I have overcome the world. What is adversity? I went to some dictionaries to find out what they had to say about that word. One dictionary said the word adversity means misfortune. Another said it means trouble. Another said it means affliction. Another said it means a painful setback. Jesus said adversity is tribulation. Not the tribulation, but the day-to-day tribulations of living in a fallen world. Adversity. What is it? It's all of that. It's misfortune, it's trouble, it's affliction, it's a painful setback, it's tribulation. Now where does adversity come from? Well, sometimes it comes from ourselves. We don't have to look any further than in the mirror. Sometimes we bring on adversity on ourselves by our own foolishness and our own wickedness. We cause it. So sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes adversity comes through the fault of others. We haven't done anything except be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Somebody else was foolish. Somebody else was wicked. And what they did has an adverse effect on us. Sometimes it's nobody's fault adversity comes. Sometimes it comes not because we did anything wrong, not because anybody else did anything wrong, 
It's not really anybody's fault. We just live in a fallen world. We live in a dying world, a world that is undergoing convulsions. And sometimes those convulsions have a ripple effect and it touches our lives. Do you know that most natural catastrophes are the convulsions of a dying world? And hurricanes and volcanoes and earthquakes and etc. Sometimes they're the cause of the adversity. It's not really anybody's fault. It's just the fact we live in that kind of world. Sometimes adversity comes from all of the above. It's our fault, it's somebody else's fault, and it's the fact that we live in a fallen world. But no matter how the adversity comes, we're going to have it. By the way, you do know adversity has many different names. What are some misfortunes? What are some troubles? What are some afflictions? What are some painful setbacks that could befall you and I even before this night's over? Maybe a sickness or an illness. Maybe a disease. Maybe a separation. Maybe a divorce. Maybe you, the being a victim of a crime or the victim of an accident. Maybe some false allegation or accusation. Maybe the death of somebody that you love. Maybe a financial loss. Maybe the loss of your future or a dream that you had for the future. Maybe persecution. Maybe termination, firing, layoff from a job that you thought was safe and secure. Adversity can have a lot of different names. And Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have them. You're going to have these tribulations. You're going to have these adversities. It might be your fault. It might be somebody else's fault. It might be nobody's fault. It might be everybody's fault. But you're going to have them. You're going to have them. You say, but I'm a Christian. That's exactly why you're going to have them. In many cases, we're a twice-born people in a once-born world. They don't like us. Do you understand that? They put up with us, but they don't like us because we're different. Our world loves people that are the same. Our world loves to make people into a cookie-cutter format. Our world wants everybody to look the same, talk the same, dress the same, act the same, live the same. And when you and I choose not to walk to their beat and walk to the beat of a different drum, they don't like that. We make them feel uncomfortable. Adversity. Sometimes they bring it against us in the way of persecution. But back to what I was saying, Nobody gets a pass on it. Some of us might get more than others, but we're all going to get it. No exclusions, no exemptions, no exceptions, no escapees. Jesus said, in this world, you, you, you 
me. We're going to have adversity. We're going to have tribulation. Now, knowing that, I think it would be especially helpful if we knew how to respond to it when it comes. Because it is coming. You might think I'm high, white, and handsome tonight. I don't got a problem in the world. That's tonight. What a difference a day can make. And the night's not over, by the way. So let's look at some things that I hope will help you when adversity comes. Because it is what? It is coming. It is coming. Seven things I want to lay on your heart very quickly tonight about how to handle adversity. How to handle the misfortunes, the afflictions, the tribulations, the painful setbacks, the adversities of life. The first thing I think it's important that you and I know is that our testimony, our testimony is remembered in times of adversity. People don't remember much about us when everything is calm and smooth. What people remember about us that will have any eternal significance comes when things are stormy, when we're in the midst of a crisis or adversity. You see, crisis reveals character. It doesn't make character, it reveals character. It shows what's in the inside. When things are calm and the streets are smooth and paved with gold, nobody really knows what we are. But when the storms of life come and the roads turn into gravel roads filled with potholes, that's when our character is revealed. Crisis reveals character. And it also shows the quality and the depth of our faith. Those of you who've served in the military, we do not remember and honor soldiers in peacetime. It's, we just don't. When things are calm, when things are at peace, we appreciate our military, but we don't necessarily recognize them and honor them. We certainly don't give them any medals. But it's in combat, when we're at war, that's when we remember our soldiers. That's when we recognize them. That's when we honor them. That's when we award them and place medals on their chests for their valor and their courage. Do you not agree? It's not in calm that we remember them. It's in combat. It's not in peacetime, but it's in war. And what's true of soldiers is true of you and I. This world doesn't care what we have to say when everything is calm and smooth. What this world wants to hear from us is when we're in a crisis. What are we going to say then? What this world wants to see from us is when we're in a, an adverse situation. What are we going to do? That's what they remember. When adversity comes, understand something. Our testimony is on display. More so than any other time in our lives. As you know, 
Most mornings I'll be at Charleston Southern University walking the track, having my prayer time. And not too long ago, a gentleman was talking with me. He was there on the track walking when I was, and he said, Don't you walk this track every day? I said, I sure do. He said, I thought I remembered you. I saw us a while back when you were walking when it was raining. I remembered that. And I was thinking to myself, isn't that amazing? I, I walk this track when it's in the sunshine all the time. He never remembered that. He just remembered when I was walking in the rain. And that's the way our world is. It doesn't remember us in the sunshine of life. It remembers us in the rainy, stormy times of our life. So if you're going through an adverse situation right now, I want you to know there are people who are listening for what you've got to say. There are people watching you for what you're going to do. There are people that want to see if your faith is real. They want to see how deep it is. They want to see how strong it is. Will it hold you? That's what they want to see. So in time of crisis... In time of crisis, remember our testimonies are being remembered and honored. Secondly, in times of adversity, God is with us. Nobody else may be with us in the times of adversity but when we go through adversity, God is with us. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, Moses said, Be strong and of good courage. Fear not. Do not be afraid of what you will face. For the Lord thy God, He shall be with you. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. Did you hear that? He will not fail you in your adversity. He will not forsake you. Now, some of you might be thinking, Pastor, that was Moses in the Old Testament. <laughs> Let me give you Paul in the New Testament then, because every truth taught in the Old Testament is also retaught in the New Testament. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or forsake you, says the Lord. Wherever you're at in the journey of faith and life, whatever you're facing in the journey of faith and life, the Lord says, I will be with you. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. Every step you take, I will be with you. Every direction you go, I'll already be there. You say, well, pastor, that's just Moses talking in the Old Testament. That's just probably Paul talking in the New Testament. Our God not only declares it, ladies and gentlemen, He demonstrates it. He's not just a talking God, but He's a doing God. He not only talks the talk, but He walks the walk. And the best way to indicate what God's going to do for you is what He's done for others. And may I suggest to you tonight, God was with Moses at the Red Sea. That's adversity. The greatest army in the world was coming after him in the Hebrews. 
It looked impossible. A giant body of water was blocking them. And Pharaoh, who was symbolic of Satan, the Egyptians that were symbolic of demons, the devil and his demons in the guise of Pharaoh and the Egyptians are coming after God's people. That's adversity. And God made a way. You say, I don't know that story. You need to read your Bible. It's a good story. And the Lord was with Joshua at Jericho. That fortress city that everyone said could never be conquered. And God was there with Joshua. And the Hebrew marching band brought down the walls of Jericho. Not the green berets, not the special forces. They were there just to do mop-up duty. But God got the glory in that one, didn't he? March around the city and play your instruments. When I tell you to be Pentecostal Baptist, start shouting. And the walls came tumbling down. He was with Moses at the Red Sea in adversity. He was with Joshua at Jericho in adversity. He was with Elijah on Mount Caramel in adversity. The prophets of Baal, man, they were stacked up by the hundreds. And there was only one God's man. That's adversity. By the way, who won? Elijah did. God was with him there. God was with David in the valley of Elah. When David, the little shepherd boy, stood against the world champion Goliath, undefeated in battle. But God was with him in that adversity. And as you know, David won. God was with Daniel in the lion's den. Why am I telling you these stories? Because what God did yesterday for those saints of old is what God's doing today for the saints of today. God said in your adversity, I will never fail you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you. I will bring you through. In times of adversity, remember our testimony is being remembered and will be honored or dishonored. In times of adversity, God is with us. You, can't make, you may not see him, I promise you he's there. He's at work. Thirdly, in times of adversity, we're to cry out to God. Cry out to God. Have you ever wondered why when the people of yesterday in the Bible prayed, their prayers were highly effective? I mean, when you go from Genesis to Revelation, we get story after story after story of how men and women of God prayed. They cried out to God. And God heard and answered their prayers in great and sometimes miraculous ways. Why don't we see that today? Is the problem God? No. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, forever. 
Why do the people of God today pray? Cry out to God, but our prayers are not highly effective, they're highly ineffective. Have you ever thought about that? Why don't we see the greatness of God moving? Why don't we see miracles occurring? Psalm 18.6 might give us an insight. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out unto my God. That's David speaking. David speaking again in Psalm 55, verse 17. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and I will cry aloud. And he shall hear my voice. Cried out, cried aloud. Interesting. When David cried out to God, God heard, God answered, God moved, God did amazing things. I wonder if that isn't what James is saying in James 5 verse 16. When he says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What does crying out mean? It means to have a voice of passion. He, David cried out to God. James says we're to pray with effectualness and fervency. That that's, means passion. We're a dried-eyed people in a hell-bound world. We don't cry over anything anymore. We don't shed a tear over lost people. We don't shed a tear over people that are sick. We don't shed a tear over anything. We never move. You call for people to come to the altar and pray, we sit there like wooden Indians. We're stoic, we're unemotional. Yet David cried out to God. He cried with a voice of passion. And yet we don't. Cried out implies tears were flowing. I love that song by Amy Lambert. Tears are a language that God understands. Oh, to have passion. That means to cry out. Passion, tears flowing, that's to cry out. When you have a voice of passion and when you have a flow of tears and it comes from a desperate heart, I believe God moves. We pray, but we don't pray aloud. We don't cry aloud. There's no passion. There's no tears. We don't care. Do you have a prayer closet? You say, Pastor, I pray in my car on the way to work. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Do you have a place that you call holy ground where you go and meet a holy God every single day? And there in that holy place, alone, just you and God, you cry out to Him. You cry out with passion, with emotion, with energy. And the tears flow. God does business with people who mean business. 
in adversity, our testimony is remembered and will be honored or dishonored. In adversity, God is with us. Are you remembering that God is with us? Thirdly, in adversity, we're to cry out to God. Fourthly, in adversity, we're to pray to God. You see, there is a difference. Crying out to God implies passion. It implies tears. It implies a desperation. But we're also to pray to God. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus said something very interesting. And I think sometimes we read it and it just kind of goes over our head. But he was talking about prayer and he said, Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. Ask, seek, and knock. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. It's not a one-time asking. It's not a one-time seeking. It's not a one-time knocking. But it's a constant, continual asking. A constant, continual seeking. A constant, continual knocking. Now, many of us probably think those three words, asking, seeking, and knocking, are just a different way of saying the same thing. But they're not. In those three words, we're really giving a formula of prayer. That word ask is speaking of our dependency on God. Ask and it shall be given. Ask who? Ask God. Total dependency on Him for all that we need. Total dependency. That word ask is tied to dependency. We trust God and God alone. We will ask God and God alone. And then that word seek is tied to the word diligence. Not giving up. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. It means to keep looking. To keep searching. Until you get what you want. It means diligence. Not giving up. Some of us pray one time and if we don't get what we want, we quit. But sometimes you need to pray things through, the old folks used to say. Pray things through. You don't have to pray salvation through. But you need to pray everything else through because there's spiritual warfare taking place. And Satan is doing all he can to block our prayers. There's tremendous battles taking place in the spiritual realm even as we meet here tonight. We could put on spiritual glasses. We would be terrified what's going on. We're to ask. That speaks of dependency. We're to seek. That speaks of diligence. And then we're to knock. That speaks of desperation. That means pounding at the door. You come to my house at 2 o'clock in the morning. I figure you're desperate. Because you're pounding on my door. It's now or never. Open the door. See, in adversity, that's how we should pray. We pray as if God is everything and God is all we need and God has everything we want and we only focus on Him. There's a dependency. There's a diligence. We're only going to, we're going to keep praying till we get something, till we get what we want, till we get the answer. And we're desperate. We have no place else to go. It isn't like we got multiple options. It's only God. Fifthly, in adversity, 
Don't despair. Don't despair. Don't walk around moaning and groaning with your head down as if all is lost. God is at work. Don't despair. By God's appointment, that's where you're at. God didn't cause what you're going through, but God is involved in it. It's not catching Him off guard what you're going through. He didn't have to call an emergency meeting of the Holy Trinity to try to figure out something that just happened to you that they caught unexpectedly. He knows. He didn't cause it, but He knows it. And He's already there waiting. By God's appointment, you're in that adversity. In God's keeping, you're in this adversity. God's going to take care of you. You say, how do I know? You're still here right now, right? <laughs> what he did in the past, you'll do in the present. What he does in the present, he'll do in the future. And he's training you in this adversity. You're going to school. You say, Pastor, I already got a Ph.D. I'm glad you do. You're going back to school. God's constantly teaching us. Teaching us how to be more like Him. How to be more effective witnesses in this lost and dying world we live in. You say, Pastor, what happens if I flunk the class? You go back again. There's no social promotion. You're going to get it right. By His appointment, in His keeping, under His training, for His purposes and glory. If you're in adversity tonight, whether you caused it, somebody else caused it, nobody caused it, or everything caused it, God's going to use what you're going through for His glory if you'll let Him. He's going to turn your tragedy into triumph. He's a God of victory. Sixthly, in our adversity, we need to find peace from God. He's not going to take away the adversity, but He can give us peace in the midst of it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 through 28, the greatest Christian man who ever lived, the greatest Christian man who ever walked the face of this earth, Paul the Apostle, talks about the adversities that he faced in serving Jesus. And it is a litmus list of every possible thing that you can go through. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24 through 28. This is his testimony of what he has been through and is going through and will go through in the days of his life. He says, of the Jews, five times I received 39 stripes. Wow. Five times I took Lashings of 39 licks at a time. And those savage beatings would take the life of most men. Five times he took it. Three times he says, I was beaten with rods on top of that. I was stoned three times. I suffered shipwreck. I spent a night and day in the deep of the ocean. I often travel in perils of waters, in danger of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, and the perils of the heathen, the unsaved, 
And I go, I face danger in the cities. I face danger in the wilderness. I face dangers in the sea. I face dangers among false brethren. Everywhere I go, I face danger. I'm weary. I'm in pain. I'm often hungry. I'm often thirsty. I fast often in the cold and nakedness of the world. And besides all of these adversities, I have the care of the churches upon my back. We think we got it bad. He said, I know what adversity is, ladies and gentlemen. That's what he's saying. But he said, I also know, Philippians 4.11, I know how to have peace. Peace. You've heard me say many times, you can buy everything at Walmart this world has to offer, but you can't buy peace. There's no peace to be found in this world, but God gives peace. To whosoever will ask Him, He will give peace. He may not take away the adversity, but He will give you peace in the midst of the adversity. That you'll be able to have some hallelujahs and not groanings as you go through it. At the gym that Keith and I work at, there's a guy named Ronnie who works out. Ronnie's a cripple. He doesn't have anything from the waist down. To watch him make the walk from his car to the gym is fascinating, to say the least. He doesn't have a wheelchair. He has the crutches. He forces every leg to move with the crutches. And then when he gets in the gym, he never never complains He never criticizes. There's no grizzling. There's no griping. There's no negativity. He just goes from one station to another and does his workout. He doesn't ask anybody to help him. If you volunteer to help him, he will accept your help with thanks. But but he's going to pick up his own weights. He's going to put his own weights back. I've never heard him once say life is unfair. I've never heard him once say that Pity me. I've never seen him blame others. I've never seen him say anything derogatory about God or anybody else. He just He's quiet. He goes about his business. He's at peace with the adversity of what he's faced that took away the use of half his body. That's what peace is. I can't change my circumstance or situation, and God may not choose to change it. But that's okay. I have peace. It is well with my soul. And I will do the best that I can with a smile on my face and a smile in my heart until my Lord decides to step in or until He takes me home. Wow. And then lastly tonight, when we talk about adversity. In our adversities, we just trust God. Our testimony is remembered. And it's honored or dishonored in adversity. God is with us in adversity. We cry out to God in adversity. We pray to God in adversity. We don't despair in adversity. We don't give up. There's hope for us. We find peace in adversity, and we trust God. Notice I didn't say we understand God. See, we want explanations for everything, don't we? 
If there's any question I get asked more than any other question as a pastor, it's the question, why? Why did this happen? Why did this happen to me? When I was young, I could answer those questions. Now that I'm older, I'm dumber. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why this happened. I don't know why this happened to you. If I could answer that question, I would be God. The Bible doesn't tell us to understand God. It simply says to trust Him. And even if God was to offer us an explanation, we wouldn't understand what He's saying. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. If God was to reveal to us why He allowed this to happen and allowed this to happen to us, our head would spin. He doesn't offer explanations. He just says, trust Him. How can we trust Him? Because we know He loves us. If I know somebody loves me, I know I can trust them. If I'm walking down the street and I hear my lovely wife calling me from a darkened corridor where I cannot see her, but I hear her voice, I will enter that darkened corridor. Because I trust her. I know she's not going to hit me in the head and rob me. She's probably going to give me a big kiss. I'll go right in there. But if I'm walking down the street and out of that darkened corridor comes a voice, come on in here. You think I'm going in there? No. That voice doesn't love me. That voice is going to hurt me. When we know somebody loves us, truly loves us, we trust them, do we not? And God loves us. He loves us with an eternal, everlasting love. He loves us just as we are. We can't do anything to make God love us more. We can't do anything to make God love us less. He loves us unconditionally to the highest level. And because He loves us, we can trust Him. I didn't say understand Him. I didn't say like what He's doing. I didn't say we're always happy about it all. But we can trust Him. He has a purpose in the pain. And that purpose will be for me. That purpose will be for those around me. And that purpose will be for His glory. Fanny Crosby lost her sight at a very young age. What was God's purpose in it all, perhaps? I don't really know it all. But I know this, out of her blindness, Fanny Crosby wrote about half the songs in the Baptist hymn book. Unable to see, she started working on songs that came from her mind and heart. And songs that have been ministered to by millions of people since then. I don't know all the purposes behind Stephen's death. Stephen was one of the greatest deacons of the early church. Preached one of the greatest sermons ever preached in the early church. And what did he get for it? He got stoned to death. I'm sure people said, well, why did God allow that to happen? And God didn't say anything then. 
But as we look back, and sometimes you can look back and see things a little bit more clearly, we know this. The one who was behind the stoning of Stephen was named Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus would later watch Stephen die. He would watch Stephen die, this Christian man, and he he hated Christianity. Saul of Tarsus was a religionist. He wasn't a Christian. He hated Christianity, yet he saw Stephen, who was a born-again Christian, who spoke often of Jesus. He saw him die and heard Stephen say, I see the Father, and I'm going to be with him. And Saul of Tarsus couldn't figure out what he was talking about. But what he saw with Stephen would one day lead to his own salvation. And God would so radically and dramatically save Saul of Tarsus that he would change his name to Paul the Apostle. Chuck Colson had to serve time in prison. He was part of that Watergate mess. But God took his present time to teach him how to minister to prisoners. And from his time in prison, he opened up a prison ministry that's led thousands of men and women to Jesus Christ in prison. Gerda Weissman spent time in a Nazi concentration camp, a place that was brutally ugly. But it was there in that concentration camp, according to her own testimony, that she saw the beauty of life, and more importantly, she saw the beauty of God. She said, I would have never seen it otherwise. But it was in that black and white place of horror that I saw the color of a loving God. You see, I don't know why God allows things to happen to us. But I know God uses things to make us better and others better and give himself Adversity. May we learn these things because it's coming. And when it's all said and done, may our testimony shine far and bright for him. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.